Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. I've said this before in written form, so please excuse the self-plagiarism here, but I think the sentiment is worth repeating. Given their stark differences, if you handed an alien a Bloody Mary and a martini and said, here, we call these things cocktails, they might reasonably question what planet you're from. Perhaps we call the Bloody Mary a cocktail for the ease of putting things in boxes, or maybe simply because it contains booze. But in reality, it's so much more than that. It's a boozy meal in a glass, a vehicle for a range of elaborate and occasionally wacky garnishes, and a hangover cure, if only by means of placebo. Joining us to pick apart this singular and complex masterpiece of a drink is Eric E.T. Tikoski. Based in Los Angeles, E.T. is the founder and owner of Dirty Sue Premium Olive Juice. His bartending career spanned some 20 years, including a notable stint at Jones Hollywood. He currently also works as a bar consultant and as national brand ambassador for a little brand you might have heard of called Jack Daniels. Prepare yourself for pepper tinctures, pickled vodka, or vodka pickles, and proprietary spice plants. It's the Bloody Mary, and we're bringing it home with E.T. on this week's episode of the Cocktail College Podcast. Right, well, I feel, I feel like we're good to, good to get going then. Um, yeah, let's rock on. Um, we're coming. We're we're dropping into your feed this Thursday, as every Thursday. But it feels a little bit like a Sunday morning this morning, and you know why that is? Because we've got Et on the show here, and we're about to talk all things Bloody Marys. Et, how's it going, man? Ah, uh, great, great. Happy to be on the show. Thank you. We're 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 so glad to have you, and. This has been a cocktail that I'm surprised we haven't covered before. And I have some very strong, positive opinions about. But also I think there's a lot of avenues for us to explore from crazy garnishes, base spirits, uh, and, 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 and many other things. So I'm looking forward to getting into this. But um, first thing off the bat, what's your relationship with the Bloody Mary? How do you feel about this drink? I would say I have a very strong relationship to the Bloody Mary. Um, it's something when well, I, I worked at a bar in LA for about 15 years and it was a pet project of mine to try and perfect the Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, this is a, a, a bar restaurant that does not open on the weekend. So there's no brunch. <laughs> so it, nice. it wasn't like we were Bloody Marys were flying off the shelves, <laughs> but I felt like, you know, if we're going to serve one, it should be as good as it possibly can be. So I feel like I've done my due diligence in, in trying to perfect the Bloody Mary. And it's all, I mean, yeah, it's all about that mix, isn't it? It's, it's really is one of those things. This, this should have been a rabbit hole that maybe more people could have gone down in the pandemic. I mean, forget sourdough, forget starters. Let's just, let's get your, let's perfect your Mary mix first, please. Right. I, I will in defense and I, you know, not in defense of sourdough people, but just <laughs> as a, as a, um, another version. So I think let's pretend that was your thing, sourdough bread. 
And then you nailed it. Like you're, you're hitting on all cylinders and you bring a loaf of sourdough to my house. I guarantee you, I will love it. Yes. Now, if you told me that your Bloody Mary mix is perfect and you brought it to my house, it's possible that's what your taste buds dig are not what my taste buds dig. So it's hard to really say as much as I just said, I tried to perfect it. I don't think there's one Bloody Mary for everyone. That is a really great point about this cocktail and yeah, and and the mix in particular. It really does get so personal because, I mean, you talk about things like spice and savoriness, pickle juice. I mean, we'll get into all these things. Is someone going a little weird? I mean, Clamato, you know, Caesars, you know, this is, that is a weird concept, especially to see that not in the refrigerated section on store shelves, right? Basically tomato juice with clam juice in it. That is, it's a tough one to get your head around. Yeah, it's, uh, that's definitely started as a regional thing in Canada and caught on a little bit down here, but, um, I don't know that it ever caught on for me. No, uh, I was in Canada earlier this year and there was, uh, I believe it was the national might've been international, but, uh, the Caesar festival going on in Calgary. I sadly missed it. It wasn't why I was there. Um, maybe I'll go back for that one next year, but anyway, we digress a little. Um, so as always, let's start with the the history a little bit here to, before we, before we get into some of the other things we've discussed, when did people first start (laughs) bringing together tomato juice and, and other ingredients and booze? And when does it become also hangover cure has that always been the case what do we know about the history of this drink so as most drinks the history is a little bit muddled um in in this situation there's a decent amount of confidence that um they they did pinpoint where this started um so there there's a guy named ferdinand i guess people called him pete um French last name that I'm probably going to butcher right now, but I think it's Petio. Um, <laughs> and I did Google translate that. So as it's Google's right, that's how you say it. Um, <laughs> now he was, he went out to work at Harry's New York bar in Paris in the twenties. And at some point he said, that's where he invented it. But his story changed later in life um, because he was brought back to the U S I'm assuming after prohibition he worked at the 21 club and then he ended up at the St. Regis hotel. And one of the regulars at the 21 club, I think after he left, um, an actor named George Jessel, uh, he also claimed he invented the drink, but he says 1939. And then after that kind of came out, I think Pete said, no, 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 I invented it in 1934 when I was at St. Regis. Um, but what's odd is, so Walter Winchell, who was a big writer back in the day, he did write about George Jessel. That was him, him and his friends drink. So it mm-hmm. was in print that George Jessel put vodka and tomato juice together. And then this, this other guy, this like renowned chef and author, uh, Lucius Beeb also wrote about, George Jessel, um, you know, putting vodka and tomato juice together. 
So what's funny. So after, you know, Pete says I did it in France. No, I did it in 1934. In 1964, he was interviewed and he said when he first heard of the Bloody Mary, all it was was vodka and tomato juice. He's the one that added Worcestershire, cayenne, lemon juice, salt, pepper, tobacco, and celery salt. So he kind of refined his story. Like maybe he heard about this idea of putting vodka in tomato juice and then said, well, you can do better. Now, you know, look, on the one hand, most drinking history um, probably goes this way where a lot of people lay claim to drinks and then you slowly start uncovering the truth. But I, I feel like, this drink probably had more than one inventor as it evolved into the cocktail we know today. Yeah. And, you know, maybe George Jessel did put vodka and tomato juice together and then maybe um, Pete perfected it or, or at least put it more in line with what we're used to today. And, you know, there's history of that too, right? If you think about the screwdriver, somebody put vodka in orange juice and then somebody else, added um, a little bit of Galliano announced the Harvey Wallbanger. Mm-hmm. So we gave it, we gave it another name. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the same drink with one extra ingredient, at least, um, you know, Petio put in like, you know, at least 10 more ingredients. So I would give it to both of them. Yeah. They can share this one. We'll let them both yeah. have it. In- I mean, if, as, as go ahead, go ahead. No, carry on. No, and I was just thinking of of the name, the drink. Um, I'm not sure. It's also a little confusing about where that name came from. A lot of people say Queen Mary won. It was named after her because of her violent path of destruction when she ruled. Um, and then also uh, Harry from Harry's New York Bar, his great-grandson, uh, I think he said that um, Pete, when he was back in New York, was enamored with this dancer he met named Mary, and she worked at a club in Chicago called the Bucket of Blood. <laughs> and he says that's where it came from. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a kind of a, a character that might feature in a Beatles song. I feel like Bloody Mary. I don't know. Yeah, there isn't one yet, but maybe when they go through like all their lost recordings, they'll find that one. Yeah, um, yeah. Get back and to then, us on of course, that one. They can't, they can't, yeah. There's no famous drink, right, without Hemingway having some say in the matter. And some people give him credit, although there's not really any facts other than Hemingway said it. Um, But (laughs) there is his recipe out there, and his recipe was batched in a pitcher, where most people make it as a cocktail. Yeah, His was made in a pitcher. So that does make sense if you're thinking about Hemingway's drinking um, yeah. history. Was was he, did he bring anything new to the table that was good? Have you ever tried out his recipe? I mean, he, you know, he has previous. Yeah, I, the the stuff I saw seemed pretty standard. Um, nothing, it, there were, it didn't seem like anything was in there. Like, oh, wow, that would be interesting to try. Um, it just seemed like he made a lot of it. More quantity over quality. Right. And... Just within the realm of drinks in general, there is a fascinating thing about the Bloody Mary, which is you spoke about trying to perfect your mix, and I'm sure the same has been true for so many people. There's not really that many other cocktails where you're allowed such customization and it's still 
remains true to the the essence of the drink and what the drink is, right? Like, you know, you can't start adding ingredients to daiquiris and being like, this is my daiquiri. You're like, no, this is my riff on a daiquiri where I also use this, right? But like, you the the variations between Bloody Marys from one to another, like you said before, they can be wild. Yeah, I think you have a lot of um, open runway when it comes to saying this is a Bloody Mary and this is my version. Um, and no one's going to say that's not a Bloody Mary. Whereas like a daiquiri or a margarita or a drink like that, yes, you can make many types of margaritas and still call it a margarita. Um, but if someone ordered a margarita, they would expect one drink, not your crazy version of it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, you know, and then on that historical path to kind of bring us up to speed, up to where we are today, we all know brunch is this phenomenon. It's a beast, um, whether you like it or not, it's, it's out there. It exists. People enjoy it. Actually, I'm not sure anyone enjoys brunch, but people do brunch. It's become a verb, uh, as well as a noun. <laughs> what, what's been your experience? Cause you've been in the bar industry for a long time now. What's been your experience with this drink? Is this this is a classic that's never gone out, or has it seen something of a resurgence in popularity or a surge in popularity in recent years with, you know, these these garnishes and stuff that have, have gone quite wild and you know are certainly fun. And I'm not being spe- uh, skeptical about those. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that the Bloody Mary ever went out of style per se. Um, Maybe when someone invented bottomless mimosas, it took a hit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I it's it's always kind of been one of two or three drinks that are wildly popular for brunch. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, in American culture today, if you go to a buffet or if you go to breakfast, there is a possibility that tomato juice isn't even offered. I'm not talking about a bar. Yeah. But if you just went to a, a breakfast spot, tomato juice might possibly not even be offered as a juice, right? Besides orange juice, grapefruit juice. Um, but back in the day when the drink, you know, came about, tomato juice was a really big thing as just a something, something to drink when, you, when you're having breakfast or wake up in the morning. And I think in the 20s is when they kind of mass were able to mass produce and mass market canned tomato juice, which yeah. opened it up to a much bigger audience um, than restaurants that were literally making it themselves. So that made it super accessible. And that's around the time the drink became a cocktail. So I think the advent of technology really boosted the possibility of tomato juice being the base of a cocktail. Yeah. And then it already was a morning beverage, much like orange juice. So, right. What's better than <laughs> tomato juice with your breakfast, right? Tomato <laughs> juice with a little bit of vodka. In it. In it. So, yeah. Um, so I think that's what kind of started it off as a quote unquote breakfast or brunch cocktail Yeah, because it was already the base of it was already being used um, during that meal. So why not? And, you know, it is, we're, it is a pretty, you know, dense cocktail. It's not a light porch pounder. 
So it, it kind of, I think serves its purpose. Um, you know, if you want to kind of talk about why, why brunch, right? Yeah. The obvious one is hair, the hair, of the dog, right? So, you know, if you went out and you had a few drinks, what's the best way to kind of, uh, get back erase to the effects of all that drinking, right? Start drinking again. Yeah. So there's that. And, you know, the one thing I've learned, which I wish I'd, I really learned in my youth hydration, right? That's key. So drinking water before you start drinking alcohol, while you're drinking alcohol, after you drink alcohol, that really is the key. But you could argue that the vitamin C and the electrolytes and tomato juice can also aid that process, which would give it that, that morning cocktail allure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then again, tomato juice becoming so popular once it was put in a can and making it more accessible to everyone helped make that a breakfast brunch drink, I think. Yeah, totally. And I think too, all right, maybe this is more of a modern thing, but like you mentioned those bottomless mimosas and whatnot, or maybe even, I don't know, you're in New Orleans and you're drinking French 75s. Like those are drinks that comparatively speaking are much easier to pound than a Bloody Mary. So if it is a case of you're having some sort of alcohol intake the morning after, you know, this is a slow release. This isn't like, oh my God, we're an hour in and I've had four mimosas. You know what I mean? Right. Right. But also you think about like the whole phenomenon of bottomless mimosas. I guarantee you the, um, the bubble portion of that drink costs about two ninety nine a bottle. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's, 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 <laughs> you're not looking at a craft cocktail when they're, when the word bottomless precedes it, you know, unless <laughs> maybe you're at the four, you know, yeah. you're at the four seasons or something like that. And that costs, you know, $89 for bottomless mimosas yeah. versus, you're on Bourbon Street and it's, you know, five ninety nine. <laughs> that is worrying. Um, yeah. <laughs> tomato juice, though, here's another weird one. One of those ingredients or, or comestibles, I guess, or ingestibles that somehow continues to be popular on planes and planes only, really. I mean, like you get your can of VA. I, another one's really like ginger ale. Not many, I don't see a lot of people cracking open cans of ginger ale in, in normal life, but I see them on planes and people go for them. Do you think it's just that association with the tomato juice too that people, or does it, is, does it have any purported kind of, I don't know, effects that help calm your stomach or something? Like why do people drink tomato juice on planes? So I, I oddly enough, I, I, I have um, done some drinks for, airlines in the past mm -hmm. and there is there is science right in in drinking on airplanes and what i discovered um i didn't i didn't do the research myself i just you know uh compiled a bunch of other really much smarter than me people's research mm -hmm. but when you're on an airplane your taste buds change and it takes more um potent flavors to get through. Mm -hmm. So Bloody Mary with all of its salt and spice and pepper and, and umami flavors do yeah. better. And ginger is a, it's also a spicy, um, component. So it makes sense that the things you're talking about are really popular on airplanes because your palate craves it more than bland when you're on an airplane. 
Ah, uh, yeah, that that makes so much sense. I'd considered that before from a food perspective because you know, like, why why do you think we always see either like mushroom dishes or chicken dishes or even like depending where you're flying, maybe oftentimes like a curry or a Chinese style food. It's it's that umami factor, like you say there, and those those bold flavors. So, yeah, I'd never really considered it from the drinks, but that makes sense. All right, you know, that's the research I was exposed to and it made sense because you know before i really even loved bloody marys i would eat i would drink them on a plane Mm -hmm. and it's also one of usually one of the worst bloody marys you'll ever have (laughs) um but it you know the flavors are there and so it kind of helps i guess satiate whatever that craving is yeah and i think to your point earlier if we're going to define a bloody mary here today i mean it's been done before but i think it is not just tomato juice and booze. It's other ingredients to it's taking it to the next level, which is why, you know, those ones that you're on about there might not be very good, whether it is a mix or whether it is just tomato juice. Um, what to you are non-negotiables when it comes to ingredients that define the Bloody Mary mix? What has to be in there? I, you know, for me, tomato juice... Um, you know, when people try to do other versions, um, it, it's to me, it's it's red tomato juice for me is a defining factor of a Bloody Mary. But it, once you have vodka and tomato juice or spirit and tomato juice, what has to be there? Pepper, celery salt, um, horseradish, Tabasco, Worcestershire, um, all have to be there and and some type of citrus usually lemon juice for me mm-hmm. um once you have that base i feel like now you can take it wherever you want but if you don't have that base i feel like you're missing some of the heart of what makes that drink great um so it, i would start there as mm-hmm. as some non-negotiables yeah i think those are those are solid those are all great picks um Talk about the Bloody Mary doing a lot of heavy lifting for tomato juice, but also celery salt. It's the only time I ever hear it yeah. called out. Yeah, and that, I, I agree. I don't think I ever heard of celery salt until Bloody Mary's. And that supposedly was, you know, that uh, Pete from St. Regis, that was one of his additions to vodka and tomato juice. So it maybe it was used back in the day more than we ever used it in modern times, but it's stuck in that drink. Mm -hmm. Um, and even after discovering it, I don't know that I've ever seen a recipe call for it. Um, interesting. Maybe, maybe a stew, but I'm, I'm guessing more than I can say yes. Um, (laughs) but I don't, you know, I have celery salt in the house, but I don't know that I really use it for anything other than Bloody Mary's. Mm Mm-hmm. Talk about an ingredient that does exactly what it says on the tin, too. I mean, what celery salt, what does it taste like? Well, funny you should ask. It tastes like celery <laughs> mixed with salt. And you know what? It really does work for this drink. Maybe it was the maybe it was the inclusion was to bring that celery profile because this is pre, you know, mass production of juicers and things like that. And and right. you know, you have it as the garnish. Maybe it's the link there. I guess where I'm going with this is that well, non-negotiable, not really, right? because 
that garnish was nowhere near the timeline of, of the invention of the drink and decades later. Oh, really? Came, yeah, that the garnish came a lot later. And it's, um, again, like, uh, this guy says I did it. This guy says I did it. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, legend has it there. I guess there's a bar in Chicago called, um, yeah, the guy's name, Butch, Butch McGuire. And it was, I think it was a car, a bar called Butch McGuire's. And I guess a customer there got a Bloody Mary. And I guess at Butch's or back in the day, you always got some type of swizzle stick to stir the drink. Um, and I guess the bartender forgot to give this guy, this customer the swizzle stick. So he just reached over and I guess there was celery stalk there and <laughs> put it in his drink to, to stir the drink. And I guess they're like, Oh, great idea. And that's what started celery. And that origin story is a hundred percent true, except for not, not far away um, at the ambassador hotel was the pump room. And some people would argue that it happened at the pump room and then Butch McGuire stole it or copied it or it's crazy. It. Yeah. So but I mean, look, both stories say it happened in Chicago and they, the story itself, um, you know, is the same that someone got a drink without a stir stick and grabbed the celery stalk. Now, what's funny about that. So the pump room um, was a big deal. That was like, you know, Chicago's, I guess, like Copacabana mm-hmm. or something like that. That was just like celebrity driven. I mean, even into later, you know, I think. Bogey McCall been there, Mick Jagger, Dolly Parton, Eddie oh, Murphy. Wow. And of course, probably their most famous guest um, of note was Sinatra. And, you know, I can't claim that he drank a lot of Bloody Marys, but I guarantee you he drank a lot of Jack Daniels at the pump room. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, in that song, uh, My Kind of Town, uh, the Chicago song that Sinatra sings, mm-hmm. um, there is a line about the pump room in that song. Oh, nice. So it was a big deal. Um, I don't know. It was just because it was a big deal place. I mean, they invented the celery stalk as a garnish. Um, <laughs> Where but, are they getting this celery stalk from, by the way? He's reaches over. What is this? I'm trying to picture it in my mind. Like, it doesn't feel. What else would have a celery stalk? Like, like what, what yeah. else the celery stalk would be used for behind the bar? Yeah, like it's not. Or if he sat. Say, for example, he's at a table. There's no dish, especially a fancy place where you're well, getting... No, this, was, this was definitely at the bar. This was at the um, bar. Okay. Yeah. I guess you could you could also argue, A, that whoever that customer was, was basically uh, ground zero for so many bartenders' bane of existence, which yeah. is a customer <laughs> using the garnish tray yeah. as a buffet. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what else, unless the story got a little evolved, maybe there was celery on his dish, right? Maybe, yeah. I know buffalo wings weren't invented yet, but maybe whatever he had, had celery. Crudite, I feel like that maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there was a crudite laying around and he just grabbed a piece of celery and, and threw it in. Um, kind of like whenever someone put peanut butter and chocolate together. Mm-hmm. Um, Genius. But... But yeah, right. But it stuck. It definitely did stick. Um, or maybe so, it was, you know, you know sometimes that, that, on these 
on these like you get like buffets or things where you know I used to work in hotel right. restaurants too where you'd oftentimes use a lot of food for decoration for these buffet plates like salad as the base but you're really not expecting anyone to take that and actually when someone does take the salad as the base from a buffet like you're right. like nah don't don't eat that dude <laughs> yeah so that maybe that's I don't know but it's, it's it's an interesting thought so also you know this person had a very tuned palate they were like didn't realize it they were getting notes of celery salt in their bloody mary and they're like you know what this is the one for me he went past the carrot (laughs) that is a good point he does this guy although he um used his dirty hands to get other people's food he uh he he had a very sensitive palate Mm -hmm. very refined palate um yeah the uh you know the other thing and Again, if we're going to give uh, the actor George Jessel the credit for tomato juice and vodka, Pete really did add, like, so Pepper was one of my non-negotiables. Yeah. But one of, he also, Pepper was his thing, but he didn't put ground pepper in his Bloody Mary mix. He actually, which fascinates me thinking about the time period, he took peppercorns and infused vodka with peppercorns. until the vodka was like a tincture like bitters almost and he would he would add drops of this peppercorn infused vodka as his uh quote-unquote peppering agent because i guess they felt like there was greater flavor extracted than you get from just ground pepper wow that's i mean all right, I'm I'm giving the majority of the credit to this guy then instead uh (laughs) (laughs) what about we don't often get afforded the opportunity to do a deep dive on pepper here on this show. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this one out there. What about white pepper versus black pepper here? Uh, there's the aesthetics to think about, but flavor too. They're different. Yeah. Again, that, that I would, I would go back to my original thought of whatever you dig is what you dig. I love Mm -hmm. white pepper. Um, and, and I think if you ever want an experiment with, the infusing pepper, I feel like you could actually, there's probably a a play for, you know, this percentage black peppercorn, this percentage red peppercorn and kind of make a blend for your own mix. So it's your own. And I feel like those are all the different ways you kind of create and put your stamp on the Mm -hmm. drink you're saying is our house, Bloody Mary, you know, eight different peppers, you know what I mean? Whatever you're going to (laughs) do. You, you know, you bring me, a personalized pepper mix. And I'm just, again, thinking this is another pandemic project for me right now. Nailing down. <laughs> what, what percentage right. pink do you go in in your mix? I'm, I'm at 60 these days, but, you know, I could be swayed. I, look, I think, I think uh, if done right, you could really make, could, you know, if you took a vodka bottle, right, and mm-hmm. then took the label off and filled it like a uh, like a sweet 16 where they used to put sand in glass jars and yeah. <laughs> make little shapes right like yeah. you take all the different color peppercorns i think then you have a big strong argument for pink because it would look oh, so yeah. nice in the jar and then do some layers of black peppercorn and green peppercorn and then fill with vodka i think that would 
that would be something bar, you know, patron. What's that? Oh, that's our pepper for our mm -hmm. Bloody Mary, our house Bloody Mary. I also only use uh, like official Appalachian peppercorns. I'm not sure if you've, I, I actually have once been to a peppercorn plantation. It was in Cambodia and it was, uh, you know, protected geographical indication or whatever, pepper, campot pepper, if you want to look into that one. And let oh, me wow. tell you, that's, it's fascinating. It really is crazy. Um, it's a wonderful process. Um, that's, I, I really, I just, the only part of the process I'm familiar with is buying it in the store. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not something you consider. I, but now that you brought it up to my attention, now I want to go see how peppercorn is, um, <laughs> is it really is yeah. before it goes into the, the spice rack. Yeah. A hundred percent. They have a nice little local dish there nearby. They have these little crabs and they cook them with green peppercorns. Wonderful. Fantastic. Um, other non-negotiables that you want to get into a little bit, you mentioned citrus. Um, are you thinking lemon here? I'm assuming. Traditionally for me, yeah, lemon is, is the way to go. I think it's a very, you know, lime juice is a, maybe in conjunction with lemon juice, but just lime juice wouldn't be for me for no. Bloody Mary. I like the lemon juice. Um, I, I think it, goes really well with tomatoes. And if you look at a lot of recipes that call for tomato, I'm sure lemon is a bigger component than lime. Mm -hmm. um, Worcestershire sauce, that speaks yeah. for itself. Uh, we're bringing tang as well as acidity and maybe a slight sweetness too with that ingredient. For sure. And, and you know, nowadays too, there's, you know, I think for a very long time, there was only one game in town. Um, mm -hmm brand wise, but now I think, especially, you know, what, what I didn't know till, till I don't know, a couple of years ago when I was working on the Bloody Mary mix, I didn't realize that Worcestershire is not vegan. Right. Um, because there's fish oil in it. So, you know, for really anyone that's a very strict vegan, um, or clam, maybe there's clam juice There's something, something fish related. Anchovies, in, I believe. So, Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe it is anchovies. That makes more sense. Um, so uh, there are vegan options now also, mm -hmm. so that which have a little bit of a different flavor and they can bring something else to the table as well. So I think, but the idea of, of, of that has to be in it in some version. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. The one player in the game, you, you talking about Liam Perrins there? I feel like I don't yeah, come across yeah. it as much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. Um, speaking on that kind of vegetarian, vegan, this is not one of your non-negotiables, but how do you feel about adding some kind of broth or stock to this? Um, maybe reducing it down real hard. Is that too much effort? How do you feel about that? I mean, you know, the thing about Bloody Marys, it's all in the prep, right? Mm -hmm. So once you do all those steps, which might be annoying at first, it's done. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for me, the, the ingredient I've always added, um, to my mixes, you know, when, when I, when I was working on that recipe for Jones, mm -hmm. um, in LA, I realized we had a pretty good Bloody Mary recipe and we would put it in a liter bottle with tomato juice. And like I said, we weren't open for brunch. So 
depending on what kind of run we had on Bloody Marys, we could either have to remake it by Thursday or throw most of it away by Saturday because it just sat there and went bad. So what I started doing in that recipe, um, trying to figure it out, I started adding olive juice, right? Dirty Sue came out and I started adding olive juice to the, the mix, which really added a nice umami flavor. And what I realized when I looked at the recipe, it was mostly liquid. You Mm -hmm. had a decent amount of Tabasco, a decent amount of Worcestershire, a decent amount of, of dirty Sioux. So I just added all those spices into a Mason jar with all that liquid and stopped pre-making the actual mix. So the spice mix lived on its own. And then we just had little six ounce cans of tomato juice. Nice. So at worst, if, if we only sold one Bloody Mary that day, the very worst we did was waste a couple ounces of tomato juice versus maybe three quarters of a liter of the whole mix. And so that, that one ingredient, I realized a lot of other bartenders were using as well. Um, olive juice does a really nice thing to Bloody Mary mixes. So the long answer to your question, yeah, I, I think a broth, I mean, if you look at the, the bloody bull, right, they use beef bouillon cubes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think anything really is off the table when it comes to now I have, and I'm sure you have had many bad bloody Marys. So there are versions that just don't work, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have tried it. You should have just realized before it went on your menu yep. that nobody likes it. Um, <laughs> but I'm, you know, I'm saying go for anything and see if it works. Um, I'm down. I mean, I think broth makes a lot of sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think a veggie broth would make much of a difference. They're pretty light. Yeah. Um, but a beef broth, a chicken broth, I think would, would have some real added value. Nice. Um, I'm going to come back to you with another ingredient question shortly, but you mentioned something there that I think is very fascinating for this show from a kind of more professional lens rather than at home bartender, which is the mix itself, shelf life. We can accurately assume that most Bloody Marys are being sold on Saturday and Sunday mornings, right? Which I would, I would say yes. So when is the ideal time if you, and and again, if you know you're going to sell a lot of these, when are you doing this prep? Is this a Friday afternoon thing or do you have enough time on Friday? Because you probably had a busy night on Thursday. Friday is going to be a big one too. But if you leave that to Saturday morning, A, you might have been working late the night before and B, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of effort goes into this. So when is the sweet spot? I know the answer is probably it depends on the location, right? It's case by case, but hypothetically speaking. I think these days with how bars are run, um, on a busy brunch weekend, they're going to try to do a day of, and yes, it's effort. But like we just mentioned, a lot of that effort is the prep. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to make an ingredient like, like, you know, Pete's pepper tincture, um, 
<laughs> that was made weeks ago, right? Yeah. That's sitting with the peppercorn in the vodka bottle. So that they're not making that Saturday morning. And let's say we were going to do our house made bone broth. You know, you're going to have the chef make that, keep it in the walk-in for you. Yeah. So when it comes time to Saturday morning and you're setting up, you have, you should have in your bar book, a very easy to follow guide um, that could take under 10 minutes to make your batch for the whole day. Perfect. And I don't think it's too much to ask. Um, I think that would be someone's side work, probably the bar back. Yeah. Um, once it's been, you know, kind of uh, created. Now, we've all been to a bar where they pull that plastic storm pour out of the beer cooler and shake it and look at it and smell it. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, I'm not sure I want to drink that. Um, but usually at those places, they're using a bot mix and those are pasteurized. Yeah. So you're going to get a good shelf life out of them. So I don't think, you know, at, at blah, 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 corner bar, they're scratch making your, your bloody Mary in their house mix. I think if, if anything extravagant they're taking a pretty neutral mix and maybe adding a few spices you know a la minute when they make it mm-hmm. but i don't think you have to worry about them having a bloody mary mix sitting in the cooler for six weeks and then trying to serve it to you <laughs> yeah and i guess what saturday morning make sure you make enough for at least today and a little bit tomorrow that'll be fine right and then we'll revisit sunday morning and we'll try and dial it in a little bit more in terms of you know trying to avoid waste. Yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would pretty sure they're going to mm-hmm. keep it overnight. Um, I don't think there's going to be any risk in that, but you know, well-run places usually can have a pretty good estimate after they're open for a little while, mm-hmm. what we're going to go through, right? Mm-hmm. You start taking averages of how many of this, how many of this, how many of this, and then you, you know, you make it and you make a little bit extra just in case, especially if it's Saturday, you know, you can use it Sunday. Sunday, you might be a little bit more cautious about overmaking. Um, and look, sometimes, you know, stuff gets 86 or someone's got to very quickly make a new batch and mm-hmm. hopefully they're not making the same amount for Sunday, the second round. Cause now <laughs> they're going to, you know, that yeah. Monday morning special is now Bloody Marys, <laughs> bottomless Bloody Marys. Yeah, that's like the rehashed Sunday roast that comes into a new dish on Monday. Yeah. Well, that used to be a great Monday morning special we'd do. Uh, one thing I will say that I did never appreciate it was 10 minutes before brunch service kicks off, I got a bartender running around my kitchen questioning why we haven't done the dry store order for celery salt. I'm like, you need to think about this on Friday night, dude. Do not be doing this yeah. in, my, in the kitchen on Saturday morning. Like, have some foresight. But uh, make the dried mix, like you say. Batch these things. Batch the things that can be batched um, and just right. keep on top that of that. dry mix yeah. will last yeah. for, you know, that's all sodium and things that are completely fortified that you're going to, you could batch days mm-hmm. in advance, weeks in advance, maybe. Um, I mean, you will lose a little bit of uh, spice on that horseradish. Mm-hmm. Um you know, over time, but a couple of days, you're not going to, it's not going to be bothered. Yeah. And that, but that horseradish is another thing, right? So there's horseradish sauce and then there's prepared horseradish and I'm of the prepared horseradish. Like it's not quite shaved horseradish. I don't think that flavor is quite there. No. Nope. Um, but the creamy horseradish isn't where it's at either. No, no. It's, it's that middle ground. Like what you get when you get oysters, that horseradish. Yeah. No, that's a great point, actually. Um, definitely worth noting that. Coming back to those ingredients, too, I mentioned I had another one for you. So 
do you have, if someone comes up to you, you know the conversation where you're like, here, try my Bloody Mary mix. The secret is I include this. Do you have any wild cards or any, not secret, but like a calling card that makes it your Bloody Mary mix, apart from, I'm assuming, just being very high quality? Um, do you have one of those like cards that you pull out there? So, yeah, um, it's evolved. So my secret ingredient for a while was olive juice until I realized a lot of bartenders used olive juice. <laughs> um, my, my other secret ingredient, I do use celery salt. I also use seasoned salt, okay. um, which is another salt I use, which I think has a lot of great flavor for a Bloody Mary. But I, I would say my secret secret, um, and this is only a secret if you've A, never been in New Orleans, or B, never paid attention to your Bloody Mary in New Orleans. But, you know, I, I go to Jazz Fest every year with guys I grew up with, mm -hmm. and we're, we're looking at 25 years we've been going to New Orleans. I've also been to Tales of the Cocktail 15 times. I got married in New Orleans. I've been there a lot. And I've, I've imbibed many a Bloody Mary while there. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, New Orleans has great Bloody Marys, but that's all I would say for a while. And then one time I noticed this bar had an infusion jar and it was olives, cocktail onions, pickled green beans, and like other pickled goodness. Hell yeah. And that's where their vodka would live. Okay, so you're pulling all this flavor from these pickled vegetables. And once I noticed it in one bar, I realized it it was almost in every bar in New Orleans. And the first thing I did when I got back to L.A. was started doing that at Jones. Yeah. And um, one, it's amazing vodka for a Bloody Mary. Two, it's an amazing dirty martini. Yep. Um, so it was great. And that really became like the, that one thing. Cause not a lot of people in LA were doing that if anyone, mm -hmm. and that became our, the, like one of our signature ingredients. Um, now what really made that difficult years later when I, I was finally like, I'm going to bottle my mix. Like I'm going to bottle what everyone's saying. Oh, this bloody Mary is so good. You should bottle it. And I used all the ingredients I'm like it's not quite as good as the one at the bar. And then I realized all that flavor from the infusion jar, I need to figure out how to reverse engineer that and get it into my mix because I can't, you know, put on the recipe. Oh, and also yeah. for 36 hours before <laughs> serving, you know, infuse three gallons of vodka in a jar with these vegetables. Um, so that took the better part of a year mm -hmm. and a lot of trips to spice stores trying to figure out, cause I was using pickled green beans, um, the classic dirty Sioux olives, the pimento olives, um, onions, but I was also using sun-dried tomatoes and, um, some lemon wheels. So Damn. it was, a, you know, it was a lot to kind of try to figure out. Because most people don't put, like when you go look at pickled green beans, it says string beans, vinegar, water, salt, blah, 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 acid, and natural spices. So they don't tell you 
everything that's in there yeah. that you can go to the store and go buy. So it, it, you know, it's a lot of tasting that stuff and being, all right, I think there's this, I think there's that, but that's a fun, you know, something that we did that you weren't finding in LA at least at mm-hmm. other bars. So that made it a fun ingredient to have. And it was, people are like, what is that? You know, it's this giant jar of pickled goodness. Everybody wants to know what it was. That's amazing. Um, I've had that exact same or a very similar experience, actually. I was going to, if that, that was the, be the one that I would say for myself too, right? Like as well, like some form of pickling liquor component to this drink, I think just really makes it yeah. pop in an amazing way. Um, a couple of years ago, I was helping out a friend of mine who has a food truck in London called Le Swine. They make elevated bacon butties. Um, they're incredible. Check them out if you're if you're there, if you're not familiar with them. Um, but we were doing a collaboration with Sipsmith on a little um, Bloody Mary because uh, it was for music festivals. And so, gotcha. you know, Sipsmith had their tent, but that was kind of for later in the day. We had the, the breakfast thing going on. And I was tasked with, you know, a couple of days before one of the festivals we went to, uh, yeah, like, batching this massive mix and backpacking everything. And it turned out that it was cheaper, more cost effective to buy jars, massive jars and tins of of pickles because we wanted exactly the right flavor and just use the juice from that than it was to try and A, recreate that or B, buy like high quality pickling liquor. Maybe it's a UK versus American thing, but it really just wasn't possible then. Uh, and, and a weird thing about this too, I know this is rambling on a little here, but the weird thing was I went back to do all this batching at a kitchen that I'd previously worked in and it was their last day as a restaurant. And so they were trying very hard to clear everything out of their freezers and fridges. And, you know, you had the people in there taking stock, you know, the accountants are in there doing all this. And there I am just taking, I mean, must've been 50 plus backpack bags of massive gherkins (laughs) that we weren't going to (laughs) use. And I said to my friend who ran the business, I'm like, what are we doing with these? He's like, we're leaving these here and we're running. So, uh, yeah, the chef was pissed off. We got an angry phone call. We left that behind. Not sure whatever happened, but yeah, long story short, pickles are the way to go. Yeah. Pickle, yeah, all that stuff. Pickles are great. Anything, um, you know, using pepperoncini juice from those jars, mm-hmm. um, any kind of brine, like, like I said, olive juice, pickle juice, all that kind of stuff is, is great. Um, it, it really is the, the drink that can withstand almost everything you can put in it. Yeah. And people try, right. <laughs> people are, you look at some of these garnishes and I mean, I think a lot of it is they want it to be walked through the restaurant, right? They yep. want one table to order that crazy Bloody Mary with three cheeseburgers and yep. a piece of fried chicken as a garnish. And then what is that? Oh, that's our Bloody Mary. And then in the menu, you see you can also get it with not all that. And they end up, I'm sure, sell a lot more like that. But, yep. you know, it's one of those, you know, good advertising. It's a it's head turner, isn't what, it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun for Instagram. I don't know how... 
like if I wanted a cheeseburger, I feel like I'm going to order a cheeseburger. I don't need to order the Bloody Mary to get the cheeseburger, <laughs> but it, you know, yeah, it's, they are good Instagrammable moments for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's brilliant social media fodder. Um, yes. Do you want to talk about how we get to that point? Do you know anything of how we get to that point beyond social media? Or do you want to just dive into what you think again are non-negotiables when it comes to garnish, but also anything you might add that's also not common? Uh, so I, I am a little old school. I do like the celery stock. Yeah. And mostly because when here's, here's a non-negotiable, it's not an ingredient, but it should be considered an ingredient. I've had too many Bloody Marys where someone takes a glass, fills with ice, throws in vodka and then pours the Bloody Mary mix on top and serves it to me like that. Mm-hmm. If you don't roll shake, meaning if you don't take that glass, pour it into another empty glass, and then pour it back, you're doing everyone such a disservice because otherwise, tomato juice is obviously so thick, it's yeah. sitting on top of the vodka, and it's never mixing. And you that's why that guy grabbed that celery sock, because yeah. he didn't have something to mix with. You need... So I like having the celery sock in case yep. the bartender didn't do me a solid and mix it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like it. You know, I like the crunch. Um, I do like getting a lemon wedge um, just so I know I can add that extra citrus if I want. Mm-hmm. I don't mind a couple of olives. But, you know, once you get past the basics, uh, I don't think you can go wrong with some bacon. Yeah. Um, I think ba- bacon's a fun one to have. You know, I've I've had some shrimp cocktail or you know some some shrimp on a skewer that's like peel and eat shrimp. That's I'll dig that. Again, I don't need it to be a meal. Like I said, cheeseburger, fried chicken, uh, you know, something crazy like that, or corn dog. Um, but I, I don't mind some of the elevated basics like bacon or some shrimp. Mm-hmm. That's always fun. Nice. Um, and. I don't, you know, I also love, love, love pickled green beans. So if you throw a couple of them in there, I'm, I'm your, you know, very loyal customer. Nice. Some kind of pickle. Yeah, for sure. Kind of calling out each of yep. the ingredients that are in there, right? With the, with the garnish and whatnot. Um, right, right, right. We keep speaking about vodka, just wondering, are there any other base spirits that, you know, that you would consider for this or you would urge people to try that they maybe haven't? tried before yeah well look you know what's funny so at the saint regis when when the you know pete's bloody mary was there it was a call and this is from more than one source the red snapper yep um before it was called the bloody mary but what's funny and that was still a vodka drink today the red snapper right is the gin version of a bloody mary yeah so it's odd that it switched, it jumped camps, but, um, and I find that's fine too, because, you know, gin, um, neutral grain spirit, right. With a lot of other flavors added to it. Yeah. So it makes sense. It's going to work in a bloody Mary, right. You have a bloody Maria tequila mezcal. Um, I don't know that that's my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it depends on the tequila, um, how much overpowering it may or may not do to the drink. Um, one thing I've tried recently, which I, the server was definitely eyebrow up, 
you know, whiskey is so popular right now. And I wanted to try uh, a whiskey Bloody Mary. So I ordered Jack Daniels, but I, I asked the bartender to put like a bar spoon of honey syrup in it. Ooh. And it was so good. It was really like the whiskey with a little bit of the smoke and, and you know, some of those those oak flavors that come through in whiskey and then a touch of honey syrup to kind of counter the spice. It was really delicious. And um, he even gave a thumbs up because I think he took a straw test before he put it out in the world, the bartender, to, to see what we were doing over there. Mm-hmm. But that was really fun. And that's, I don't think something is on people's minds when they're ordering a Bloody Mary. Um, you know, you have, what is it, a, a michelada, right? So yep. instead of vodka, using beer. And, you know, that uh, that goes kind of like a couple ways, right? So similar to like um, some of those micheladas don't have tomato juice, some do. So I guess it depends on the bartender or your personal taste when you're making it at home. But so it'd be beer with just the the spices and seasonings um, and some lime juice mm-hmm. and then some have tomato juice, you know, basically a bloody Mary mix with beer. Um, so that can go either way. Um, i trying to think, Oh, I saw once in LA. I don't know if it ever caught on. Um, I, I think it's called bloodless, which would seem like a Virgin Mary, but um, I think what they were using instead of tomato juice, they were using tomato water. So basically taking um, tomatoes, pureeing them, and then using like a cheesecloth, I guess, to strain out all the solids. Mm -hmm. But that almost seems like it might work better in like a savory martini than what we're looking for in the morning. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm here for that version, to be completely honest with you. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've heard of it. I can't say I tried it. Yeah. and then, of course, we talked about it much earlier, right? The the bloody Caesar with the the, the clam juice or clamato. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll throw throw one final spirit in the hat there for folks. It's and I would go unaged here, but Aqua V two. You know, kind of in that in that gin realm, right? Botanicals, yeah, yeah, savory. Yeah. Uh, try it out, guys. I'm a big fan. Um, Dig it. Also, another weird one, wildcard. I'm not sure why you would do this. I was writing an article years ago, the alternatives to vodka and your Bloody Mary. So I whipped up a, a batch and um, we basically tried everything off the shelf and just basically to see if it worked. Cognac. I don't know why you would, but I can confirm <laughs> that it works. Um, maybe just try it once to, to give that a go. But it actually does, uh, does work as an ingredient. Anyway, moving swiftly yeah, on no. from that heresy. Um, can you now talk us through the preparation here, including specs, um, for what you would feel would be the ideal, the perfect Bloody Mary, uh, you mentioned kind of the roll shake there, but yeah, can you talk us through this, uh, as if you're making that drink for us today? Yeah. So what, what I'll do is I'll give you the basic spice mix I used to make it at Jones. Um, the one that, um, so this you would put in like a Mason jar and you could keep this in your fridge. And that way, if you invite me over for a football game tomorrow, you know, we can make two or three, but you can keep the spice mix in your fridge. Um, you know, for weeks, Mm -hmm. if not longer. And 
And then this is also to me like a good base for if you want to go crazier, spicy, or add some more crazy things, go ahead. But this is a very solid base. This is obviously does not include the infused vodka that we were using, but it's a nice base for, for a, a Bloody Mary. So in that said mason jar or some type of glass, um, six ounces, Dirty Sioux premium olive juice, four flat teaspoons of black pepper. And by flat, I mean, you just take your teaspoon and then take a flat service and go over the spoon. So it's not like a, um, there's no top on it. So you're only getting the actual teaspoon. Um, three flat teaspoons of celery salt, three flat teaspoons of Lowry's seasoned salt, six flat teaspoons um, of horseradish. I use usually a hot horseradish. Um, so brands, this varies from state to state to state, but mm -hmm. definitely use a prepared horseradish, not the creamy sauce. Three ounces of Worcestershire sauce, ounce and a half of Tabasco. And the great thing about this, you got it in the mason jar, obviously shake it every time you're going to make a drink, right? Because this will mm -hmm. settle and all of the, the dry ingredients will settle. And if you pour it, you're going to miss a lot of the fun. So definitely shake um, and I would use a half ounce of this spice mix in a glass, um, fill it with ice and then about three to three and a half ounces of tomato juice and a hundred percent use a, um, squeezed lemon. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't put it in the mix cause I feel like it just won't last. Yeah. Um, but definitely you want a squeeze of lemon in this mix before you do your roll shake where you're going to take this drink with the ice, with all the ingredients, the vodka, um, and ounce and a half of vodka. So half ounce of your spice mix, ounce and a half of vodka, three to three and a half ounces of tomato juice, and then pour that into a pint glass and then pour it back in to your Collins glass. Um, and then garnish however you see fit. <laughs> yeah. Go wherever you want with that one. Um, so you're serving that with, with including it's kind of like a like a dirty dump whatever you're doing you're including the ice that you used to chill it as the ice for the drink. Yeah, I'm gonna put it all in there because some of this stuff will stick to that ice, and um, I don't want to lose it. Got it. I kind of, I kind of want my Bloody Marys chilled, but without ice. Interesting. I, I that, just I I worry about the dilution. Because it takes a while, as we spoke about, to, to drink this. But um, yeah, that, that is a very good point. But it, it you know, you don't want to shake a Bloody Mary. So no, <laughs> unless you're starting with very, very cold vodka and very, very cold tomato juice and the spice mix will live in the fridge. Um, I guess you could do it. Mm -hmm. But I also like a little bit of dilution. So if I was going to do your method, I feel like I might want to add a bit of dilution. Um if I was only going to serve this with no ice. Yeah. I mean, I have, I've, I'm talking you know, I, purely hypothetically here. I don't think I've ever tried this, but every time when I get a bit too much dilution, I, it does annoy me. Yeah. If, yeah. If, well, that's, you know, again, you're, you're also dealing with the problem of sometimes they, 
they serve these giant Bloody Marys that no human could drink before it's diluted. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I was thinking about that, about, you know, glassware, right? Like, what's the right glassware for a Bloody Mary? And the one I just told you, you're going to use a normal Collins glass. The big negative with that Collins glass is when you start stuffing in the olives, the lemon, the pickled green beans, the celery, where are you sipping it from? Right. There's no, uh, there's no, there's no real estate left for your lips. Yeah. So that is where like a pint glass, although I'm not a big fan of pint glass drinks, but so I, I would even say some type of goblet or even a wine glass where you have a wider opening. Yeah. Um, would be a great way to be able to fit, all the fun stuff in there and use it to, to also drink from. Yeah. I think that's a great point too. And also just cause we're so used to seeing these massive bloody Marys these days. I don't know whether some people might feel a little shortchanged if they see, if it arrives in a Collins, who knows? Right. I guess it's also, you know, if, if the one in the Collins glass was 1899, you might feel shortchanged. For um, sure. That's what I mean. Yeah. But, um, but then again, you have got some pan-seared foie gras as a garnish, so you know. True. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, any final thoughts on the Bloody Mary before we head into the next section of the show? Yeah, I, I would say this, you know, much like cooking a rest, like if you've really never tried to conquer this at home, um, I would say start with something that sounds very palatable, right? Like the recipe I just gave you or a version of that where it's tomato juice and a handful of classic spices. Start there, try it and say, what else do I want? Right. Yeah. Because it's very hard to go to you. First of all, you can't take anything out. Right. So once you put in um, a little smidge of, of, juice from, you know, an oyster or whatever, you know, brine from an oyster, whatever it is, mm -hmm. if you don't like it, you can't get rid of it. So I would say start very with the basics and then one by one add things. And that way you'll know exactly what it was you loved and didn't love. So as you kind of experiment with your friends, hopefully over, you know, a couple Sundays, you can really perfect that home recipe. So, um, you know, start with the, the classics and then add one by one until you figure out exactly what is your perfect Bloody Mary. Perfect. I think that's great advice right there. Uh, and speaks to everything that we've covered, really. The Bloody Mary is the ultimate customizable cocktail. Um, it right, allows it's a very you to personal go, drink. Yeah. allows you to go through all these, down all these different rabbit holes. And yeah. I'm looking forward to next weekend already. I'm going to get one of these. A, I'm getting the pickling jar going with the vodka and the spices. Uh, that is a project I can get behind. Um, but let's do it. Let's move into the uh, let's move into the final section of the show here, ET, where people get to know you more as a drinker and a bartender. Perfect. We'll kick it off with question number one. What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? I would say whiskey would be number one. Um, and only because, I mean, one is awesome, but there's so many different styles of whiskey that it, you need a lot of real estate for the whiskeys. You know, there's whiskeys from so many different regions that you want to kind of give attention to. 
And even within those regions, there's so many great whiskeys that it's hard to only, you can't have one bourbon, right? You can't have one scotch. So I feel like you got to really start exploring the categories and that's going to take up some real estate. And then I I think probably if I was going to give you a number two, it'd be tequila. Mm -hmm. Um, One, because there's a lot of great tequila on the market Two because it's immensely popular. Mm -hmm. Um, And three, because it really does vary a lot. So it's fun to have different types of tequila to kind of showcase. And four, because, you know, if you didn't add that tequila on in the end there, people might kick you out of L.A. (laughs) That's true. That is true. (laughs) That's a very good point. Be like, no, it's all right. I got mezcal. Sorry, buddy. Um, (laughs) You're out. (laughs) No, I think, yeah, a wealth of possibilities in both those categories. Uh, Popular ones for sure. Question number two. Which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Uh, that's an easy one. Personality. Personality. Um, you know, look, I could train my mother how to bartend um, and make the perfect drink, but you can't train personality. Not that my mother wouldn't be great personality-wise, mm-hmm. but, you know, when when I'm hiring a bartender you know, very rarely does their resume make me hire them. It's their personality Mm -hmm. because you're, you're dealing with the public coming into your bar and expecting a level of service. And if you have a bartender who makes the greatest drink in the world, but just isn't great with people, your bar is not going to do well. You know, as a customer, you know, if, if I go into a bar and have a, a solid cocktail and an amazing bartender, I will go back there nine times out of 10 versus having the greatest well-made cocktail, whatever cocktail Bloody Mary ordered. And it's the best version of that drink I've ever had in my life. And the worst bartender that made me feel like I don't deserve to be there. Mm-hmm. I'll never go back for that drink, but I will go back for that bartender that made me a solid cocktail that just was great to talk to and really just, you know, brightened up my day. A hundred percent. You really can't teach personality. You can't teach it either. You can make it a little better, but they have to come in with it. It's so important. It really is. It's, it's kind of, you know, by extension, I think it's like service, you know, bad service. Yep. I, I, I don't care the quality of everything else. Um, I'm never going back. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, some of it's trained, like this is how we do it at this restaurant, but some servers or bartenders adopt it very easily because it's part of their nature. They want to make you have a better time now that you're here than you would have somewhere else or at home. Mm-hmm. And some people go through the motions and you can just tell that they, they don't really care if you're there or not. They're just waiting for you to add 20% tip and leave. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Um, I guess it's, it's a riff on the, the old adage of the customer is always right. This advice was the customer is almost always right. And I, I, I think the person that said that advice didn't deliver it the way I interpreted it. I think they were kind of saying some customers you know, that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. But to me, I, I, I do take it to heart. The part about the customer always being right to me means 
if somebody comes into my bar and they chose my bar to get their drink for whatever reason, whether they're celebrating something, they had a bad day, someone just broke up with them, whatever it is, they chose my bar to spend their hard-earned money to get something from me. And they deserve 100% of whatever I can give to give them. That's my, that's my responsibility to that customer. So in that sense, they are right. They do deserve it because they chose it. And they could have taken their money and, you know, their needs anywhere they wanted to go, but they chose my bar. So I have a responsibility. Now, the almost always right part, there's not awesome people in this world. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> I, I do feel like as bartenders and servers and people in this industry, we have a responsibility to the world to offer some education as subtle as it may be to these people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't really like to get into arguments with guests or, or tell them that they're awful people unless it's, and it's very rare, but warranted. But I, you know, there are things devised over the years to kind of, um, hint that maybe they should be nicer. Um, this is, uh, this is not great, but I'll tell you cause it's fun. So I've, I've bartended with this guy Dalton for years and, um, he's a great guy, great personality, great bartender. And we both of the same mentality of let's do our best to make our customers happy and make them want to come back and tell people how awesome this bar is. And then when you have that really not awesome person, what do you do? Right. So, um, my dogs agree. Um, so we, we devised this, this system called bus tubbing. Um, where we had this, I think it started with this one guy one night, we had this guy and he was on a date. And I guess in order to make himself look better to his date, he decided to make us not be awesome. Like he had power over us. So he must be powerful. Like this is a snappy fingers kind of guy, Yeah, you know, and knocking on the bar, pointing to his drink when you're helping another customer snapping in your face or tugging on your shirt while you're taking someone else's order. So we decided that we were not going to clean up any of his dirty dishes from food or any of his empty drink glasses <laughs> or wipe up the bar in front of him. And now we did it for his date. So <laughs> it was spotless in front of her and she had a fresh, you know, coaster and cocktail and her food that she finished hours ago was gone. And we just piled up to where, we would have to move his dirty things out of the way to give him his new drink. And it really felt great until like four days later, the GM called us into the office. <laughs> and I guess that happened to be the night that there was a secret shopper in the bar. No. And it, yeah. So that's like, <laughs> for some that might not know that that's the company that we hire to like secretly come into a bar and watch certain employees and just kind of report back how they do. Right. So we can all learn from, you know, what we do and do better. And he's like, all right, I got your shoppers report. And at first I was like, you know, great. And he's like, yeah, it's mostly really good. Um, blah, 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 blah. They hear some of the highlights, you know, Dalton and ET <laughs> did this great. They did that great. They had a real good energy between them. 
The one thing that was odd, <laughs> there was there was one customer at the bar that they never cleaned up in front of. They kept a very tidy bar, except for this one guest where they never cleaned up in front of him. <laughs> and we were like, uh, do we tell him or, you know, and it was such a good report. We're like, yeah, yeah, sorry, we'll do better. You know, what are we going to tell him? Oh, no, we bust, you know. We bust tubbed that guy, right? We, we did it on purpose. Um, <laughs> bust tubbed. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, but yeah, so the best advice is probably the customer's almost always right. Meaning do your best to make everyone happy, you know? And yeah, once in a while, they're not going to be awesome and do your best in that situation <laughs> unless you have to do drastic measures. <laughs> and you never know. When the secret shopper's coming in. <laughs> Murphy's Law, right? <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. All right. Penultimate question here. Number four. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? I mean, it would be Jones. It yeah. would be Jones. I, I, that has been a part of my life since, probably since it opened in 94. Um, you know, prior to working there, I was a, I was a regular for years. Um, so many good things came to me from Jones, um, work opportunities, lifelong friends, whether they started out as customers and became lifelong friends or coworkers that, um, you know, I'm that so many of them were at my wedding, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, um, and you know, the, the cherry on top or the most important thing that happened while at Jones, um, was I met my wife there. You know, so I don't think if I had the opportunity, there'd be no other bar I would go to than Jones. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, I went there for the first time recent, earlier this year. I've only been to LA a handful of times and I was there early this year and f phenomenal. What a martini, by the way. I think I yeah, had that, a couple. That, you know, the, it's just, they nailed it in so many levels, the vibe, you know, the the music the atmosphere just the energy they really um and even with the pandemic it's the same chef since day one mm -hmm. it's the same general manager since day one some of the bartenders have been there over a decade same with some of the servers so like you know obviously they're there because it's still a good job but also they're there because they love working there. And yeah. you don't really see that that often in that industry. Yeah. Great place. I was staying around the corner on North La Brea as well. So I was also, I walked to this restaurant. I'm like, what are people on about LA? You have to drive everywhere. This is perfectly <laughs> walkable, this city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you stay in, in like three different hotels, other than that, you're in the Uber. <laughs> All right. Final question for us today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? I think whatever it was, it'd be a double, right? Yeah, so I'm with you on that. I, I want the most I could get. Um, it's so many factors. Um, I'm just going to say this. If it was the morning, it would be a Bloody Mary. Mm -hmm. All right. If it was, if it was like a pre last meal drink, like this is my last meal, I would probably have a, a dirty martini. Mm -hmm. um, if we just, Hey, have a drink, 
this is it. You can only call it a drink. It would definitely be uh, Jack Neat. Mm-hmm. And if my last drink was on a beach somewhere, it'd be a pina colada. Nice. Nice. I like that. Options, but situations represented yeah. there. It's tough because, you know, I, you're not all like, most of the time I drink the same things, but there are moments in your life where you're, you're like, oh, I'm here. I'm getting this, right? Mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm getting this. So, but yeah, that would be it. But it would be a double. So Amazing. I could, so I can milk it. <laughs> E.T., Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I, I, I can't wait to get started on some of these projects. Uh, this is dangerous, but uh, it's been a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And you inspired me as well. I think I'm going to work on this this peppercorn tincture as well. Pepper, so we can, yeah. we can keep in touch about that. Hey, hit us up. Get back in touch when you know your preferred blend there, your, little, your mash bill on your peppercorns there. <laughs> Perfect. I will do. <laughs> thank you very much. Cheers. All right. Take care. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, Vinepair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at Vinepair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>